stock market's up. The dollar's appreciated 10% and moving down. They even yanked the euro dollar deposits that weren't due. Gold just went over 2,000. By tonight, that'll be cheap. Hi, Virginia, it's me. I want you to listen, and listen very carefully. As soon as you hang up, I want you to go to the closet, take a suitcase, and get to the bank. It began eight days ago when a group of Arab investors withdrew billions of dollars from U.S. banks. That, in turn, started a chain reaction on the world money markets. Dollars, pounds, marks, francs, yen. Not one currency escaped. This scene outside a Manhattan bank was duplicated all over the world as people saw their life savings become worthless in a matter of hours. Good evening, I'm George Page in New York, and this is another in our series of reports on the world economic crisis. The growing paralysis of the industrial world has left millions without jobs, without money, and without hope. Crowds of unemployed poured into Washington yesterday. They stood in silent protest before the nation's leaders. At the same time, more than a million people packed St. Peter's Square, where the Pope urged calm and nonviolence. The pontiff asked for prayers for world leaders, prayers and peace and reason. But the last 24 hours have been marked by growing protests and ever-increasing violence. Last night, demonstrators burned American currency in front of the White House, and attempts to put out the fires led to a confrontation with police. Every hour, from every corner of the globe, there are new reports of outraged crowds demanding action. A bankrupt world seems to be teetering on the very edge of anarchy. Reality is always stranger and far more detailed than any fiction mere writers could dream up, especially fictions written from 42 years ago. While we've only recently witnessed digital bank wire and ACH bank runs, mostly, we are beginning to see further cracks in the global bank and financial system that is only further propelling the world into a run for their cash, clean balance sheets, and physical bullion products. Strap in because this was a wild week of bullion-related news. Late last weekend, the fiat US dollar powers that be bailed out unsecured Silicon Valley Bank creditors, saving the majority of their commercial bank business account customers like Roku from massive haircuts and losses. Other banks, some estimates as high as 500 of them, are still teetering on a knife's edge of mark-to-market solvency. The Fiat Fed's discount loan window to banks has already blown through 2008 GFC high levels. Many regulators in the European Union are understandably angry, given the G20's late 2014 supranational law signed by the USA and 19 other major economies of the world that stated bank bail-ins were the new policy, not bank bailouts. But of course, the devil is in the details, and the FT explains it like so. The 2008 crisis triggered a sea change in how to handle the collapse of banks, with policymakers meeting often at Basel-based headquarters of the Bank for International Settlements to create regimes designed to minimize the wider fallout from failures. 
Central to those regimes was imposing losses on owners, bondholders, and other unsecured creditors, including depositors with funds exceeding their country's guaranteed limit. The U.S. was a key proponent of such policies, according to people who took parts in talks. However, unlike EU and U.K. leaders of similar size, U.S. banks with balance sheets below $250 billion, including SVB, are deemed too small to have to comply with global standards on capital, liquidity, and resolution. While the Federal Reserve is now considering tougher rules for mid-sized lenders, Congress voted in 2018 to give it the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation discretion to exempt banks below $250 billion from the toughest strictures. The watchdogs followed up a year later with a more relaxed regime for banks with assets ranging from $50 billion to $250 billion. Both now-failed Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank in the USA were below the devil-in-the-details threshold. The bank failure problem for Europe, though, it's now knocking louder at their door. You see, Swiss GSIB, a Tier 1 global systematic important bank, estimated at the end of 2022 to have near $600 billion in size, Credit Suisse is now threatening to fail with the collapsing stock price, increasing customer bank deposit withdrawals, insurance bet premiums running up walls on long-term charts, having to borrow this week nearly $54 billion in fiat Fed note valuation from the Swiss Central Bank in order to buy more time, bank trading partners and business counterparties reportedly walking away from them, and a Credit Suisse CFO team meeting this weekend that could result in the end of the bank as we know it. It seems public opinion is if indeed GSIB Credit Suisse fails, EU regulators should not save it either. The likely G20 letter of the supranational law likely agrees. The recently updated Fiat Federal Reserve's bank balance sheet ballooned nearly 300 trillion. It seems the latest quantitative tightening cycle has now ended, with four months of it blown away by this latest return of infinite QE and balance sheet expansion. Let us turn to the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who in July 2017, on her way out from being the last acting chairman of the Fiat Federal Reserve before Jerome Powell, had the arrogance to publicly claim we would see no more financial crises in our lifetimes. Yet, by the grace of God, here we all are, in another financial crisis, still alive. Have a listen to the new bank consolidation agenda, now in motion. We start with some of the banking issues we're dealing with on it. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? Need that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade. I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole 
But if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're, that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is happening because depositors are concerned about the bank failures that have happened and whether or not other banks could also um, no, it, it, it's happening and because it's, you're fully insured no matter what the amount is. If you're in a big bank, you're not fully insured if you're in a community bank. Well, you're not fully insured. and You, you big, were at Signature, the, and the it, big, was, it just barely met that threshold. You were at Signature. Well, we felt that there was a serious risk of contagion that could have brought down and triggered runs on many banks um, and that's something, given that our judgment is that the banking system overall is safe and sound, um, depositors should have confidence in the system, and we took these actions. So now major unsecured creditor fund flows, many by large businesses and corporate finance departments, they are apparently fleeing from smaller regional banks and headed to the largest zombie mega banks, many of whom should have failed in 2008, but yet they are somehow perceived to be safer in our increasingly top-down, brittle banking system. Apparently, many of these scared depositors don't know current G20 bank bail-in laws on the books and are possibly going to end up like cattle, moving into the largest potential slaughterhouses within the further failing bank system. Bank consolidations in the USA and abroad have become the norm since full fiat financialization took over in the 1980s. Through the savings and loan crises 1990s, then the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act in 1999, the 2008 bailouts, and the multiple thousands of always greenlit bank mergers that have followed ever since. This bottom line has meant fewer bank choices for U.S. citizens, less competition, and more casino-like gambling megabank dominance, which currently hold about half of U.S. bank deposit market share at the moment. But apparently it's growing. Here are a few more major issues to currently consider at hand. Of course, the U.S. Treasury is concerned about potential U.S. bank exposure if or when Credit Suisse fails. But the potential bank derivative bombs that could be set off, their notional reported sizes dwarf anything our human minds can likely grasp. Wall Street on Parade stated this week the following. On December 5th of last year, when researchers for the Bank for International Settlements released an astonishing report that found that foreign banks had secret derivative debt that is, quote, 10 times their capital. The report focused on the amount of derivative debt that was not being captured through regular statistical reporting because it's held off the bank's balance sheets. The researchers refer to this exposure as, quote, staggering. And note the potential for upsets to dollar swap lines to settle as it comes due. The report raises further alarm bells with this, quote, For banks headquartered outside the United States, dollar debt from these instruments is estimated at $39 trillion, more than double their on-balance sheet dollar debt and more than 10 times their capital. Their on-balance sheet dollar debt is $15 trillion. The most recent quarterly derivatives report from the U.S. regulators of national banks, the Office of Comptroller of the Currency, found that as of September 30, 2022, four U.S. megabanks held 88.6% of all notional amounts of derivatives in the U.S. banking system. The total notional 
for all banks was $195 trillion. J.P. Morgan Chase held $54.3 trillion of that. Goldman Sachs held $50.97 trillion. Citibank, $46 trillion. And Bank of America, $21.6 trillion. Even though Dodd-Frank legislation required that most of these derivative trades moved to central clearings, as of September 30, 2022, the OCC report found that 58.3% of these derivatives were not being centrally cleared, meaning they were over-the-counter, private contracts between counterparties, thus adding another layer of opacity to an unaccountable system. Here I am to remind you once again, government central banks have been buying gold bullion in net volumes not seen since before World War II, when the Bretton Woods Agreement was made in 1944 and defaulted upon, obviously, in 1971. Currently, our SD bullion customer base is following their actions likewise. Customers are again buying bullion in record size, given this March 2023's sales volumes. Understandably concerned about this brittle bank and financial system coming undone, and as we've discussed, it's completely laden with record corporate debt levels, record government debt levels, etc., and the unknowable bank derivative bets, which may eventually be coming due. I suppose one always has to look at the silver linings in all this. At least the dark humor silver squeeze memers are back, making quality gallows humor gifts. Hello on behalf of SDBullion.com, this is James Anderson with your weekly bullion market update. Before we go any further, smash the like button so we can share this content with other like-minded sound money stackers. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more complimentary weekly updates to come. And don't forget to enter our free bullion giveaway. SD Bullion Silver Eagle Monster Box Sweepstakes is back. And with it, another opportunity to win 500 Silver Eagle coins just like this guy. Yeah, this is Kevin. Hi, Kevin. This is Dr. Tyler Wall, CEO of SD Bullion. I'm calling to you to let you know that you won the SD Bullion giveaway of a monster box of 2022 Silver Eagle. Unbelievable. That is awesome. <laughs> I Sorry, I'd, you know. I'd be a lot more excited, but I'm at work, so I can't really scream and holler too much. <laughs> so click the link below, because the next big winner could be you. Before we begin in earnest, I want to wish a happy St. Patrick's Day to you out there, especially you gold stacking leprechauns. Surely you enjoyed gold bullion's price action this week, and especially today. The spot silver price ripped upward as well, closing this week over $22.50 an ounce in fiat US dollar terms. The spot gold price closed this week, now threatening to blow through the key 2,000 ounce price level. More on that in a second. The spot gold-silver ratio tightened a bit, finishing a still historically high number of 88. Technically, the spot gold-silver ratio has a massive clip to jump off eventually. And seeing how it performs during infinite QE cycles, it would not surprise me to see a lowering GSR as this year continues onward. The more important technical price chart at the moment that I want you to see is the current gold price chart. Gold is the leader of this 21st century bullion bull market, and you would like to see gold lead before silver eventually outperforms as it typically does with a collapsing gold-silver ratio. So, for the last nearly three years of gold price consolidation and sideways up and down action, this three-year near now base build, the key $2,000 an ounce gold price level has acted as resistance, basically, with fiat US dollar spot price gold really only eclipsing 2000 for short time frames on two different bull runs. Now bullion always beats bank failures, hence the title of this week's update. 
So let's take a look back to 2008 to the 2010 timeframe, if you doubt me on that statement. You see, before Lehman Brothers and all the other rolling bailouts and some of the other 40 U.S. banks that failed in 2008, gold had a quick run beyond the key $1,000 an ounce price level in early 2008, and it took until late 2009 to again blow through that $1,000 an ounce, where the key technical price level stopped acting as resistance, but instead turned around and started acting as long-term price support. Price support that literally proved itself extremely strong where in late 2015, gold bottomed near 1,050 an ounce. And that was back when the Swiss gold refiner interview that I've shown on this channel, where he was publicly admitting in a podcast interview that the gold price discovery system is, of course, highly leveraged, derivative-laden sham. And he also stated that China was basically buying all their refined gold as they worked 24-hour shifts to create enough one-kilo-sized gold bars to satiate China's seemingly endless demand at the time. Cut to now in 2023, $2,000 an ounce gold is going to get passed at some point. When it does convincingly so, look for it to eventually act as price support. From where this 21st century bullion bull market finally begins getting more media attention, and eventual institutional inflows and larger investment allocations inward. This current data shows that over two thirds of investment advisors who were questioned for the chart have either no gold price exposure or below a measly 1% allocation. Truly pathetic as a combination bear market in stocks and bonds is staring them square in the face in their eventual P&Ls. These are the coming Western world capital inflows that will likely help spur gold into an eventual mania and a likely exponential valuation climb to come. Now to finish with a light humor story on the city of London's increasing incompetence and fading reputation as a price discovery powerhouse in metals. Apparently, the sordid ongoing nickel market ran into a rocky situation recently. The London Metals Association discovered bags of stones instead of raw nickel bars that underpinned a handful of its trading contracts. Perhaps London's Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, can question these stones and cobble together the facts from the rubble. Someone tweeted me the following regarding unsecured ETF holdings uh, that retail and most institutional shareholders uh, don't directly own nor have any ability to take delivery of the supposed bullion that backs them. It was a good metaphor, but that's another deep dive topic for another future update. For active bullion buyers out there watching, SD Bullion is of course open for purchases this weekend, ready to ship inventories competitively priced discreetly to customer doors or into their respective segregated non-bank bullion storage accounts. That is all for this wild week. Keep your heads on a swivel out there. And as always, take great care of yourselves and those you love. If you enjoyed this content, be sure to give our video a thumbs up. To keep getting bullion-related news and industry insights, be sure to subscribe to our channel. Finally, hit that alert button so you know when we publish fresh content.